0: Welcome to Clark Talks, where we bring you the stories and views behind the news with The Columbians Podcast. My name is Katie Gillespie.
1: I'm Damian Pizanzi.
0: So this week we're talking all about local business. Um, we're going to talk to uh, Employment Security Department Regional Economist Scott Bailey about what makes the economy around here tick, uh, where are we working,
1: the strengths that we have, the uh, land management issues that are going on, and how we're trying to uh, work to the future to prevent some of the mistakes we had in the past. It's a really good conversation. And then we're going to go to lunch at a local business here in a little bit, and we'll give you guys our review of uh, what we ate and what we thought of it, and uh, talk with the guy who owns it.
0: But to start with, we're going to chat with our with the Colombian's new business reporter, Troy Brennelson. So, hey, Troy.
2: How's it going? It's good. How are you? I'm <laughs> doing good, just uh, hanging out with our... A lion here, stuffed lion in the office. (laughs) Probably my best friend since I started working here. (laughs) Ours too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For those of you listening, we have a giant stuffed lion in the room where we record our podcast because it's adorable. It's my emotional support lion, first of all. Mm -hmm. And second of all. (laughs) He's our cub reporter. And it deadens the sound in here. So, (laughs) um, so Troy, how long have you, how long have you been here now?
2: I'm uh, coming up on a month now with the Columbian. It's, it's been, been that long already? already? Yeah, yeah, wow. it's flying by. Wow. It helps that I was the new guy for only a week and then Jake, our. Uh, county reporter came in and replaced me that quickly. So, so you like kind of forgot that yeah. you were the new you're
0: guy. You're already a seasoned veteran. I'm the vet. <laughs> you already have seniority over yep. somebody. Yeah, yeah so. I've
2: been trying to boss him around but he's like 6'5 so that's doesn't really work <laughs> out. It's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge.
0: And you're like what? Like 5'10. Like 5
2: No, I'm like 5'5. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a foot on me. That's that's a lot of reach.
0: <laughs> well, so how's the first month gone then?
2: It's going good. Um Covering business, as you guys learned, or as I learned, too, talking with Scott Bailey. There's a whole lot going on, and uh, I'm just really trying to catch up. So
0: so tell us about where you uh, where you came from, what your background is.
2: I was the city reporter for the News Review in Roseburg, and there I covered a lot of land use issues, like Damien covers. Um, I covered a lot of just small-town politics, which is just a lot of mudslinging, which is fun. Yep. And uh, I was also there, I mean... Listeners might recognize Roseburg as the place where they had the shooting back in October first at Umco Community College. Which That's right. not to really yeah. dampen the spirits in here, but it was yeah. uh, it, that was the I guess the big marquee thing. So it was mm-hmm. that was tough. But well, yeah.
1: I mean, unfortunately, I think that is the thing that put Roseburg on the map for um, really I think the majority of people outside of Oregon. Mm-hmm. So that must have been just an absolutely insane time to be a reporter.
2: Yeah, no, it was nuts. Um and it you put it perfectly, put it on the map because I think a lot of people we had people from the east coast, people from uh, you know, Los Angeles and Seattle, so those big metros on the west coast who were you could hear them on the phone saying, I'm in Roseburg and then you could hear almost the person on the other end of the line say, Where's that? And then they would have to describe it, Oh, it's just an hour south of Eugene. Wow. Uh, so
1: I'm curious, as a reporter um, as a local reporter like you're a guy who knows the community well and you interact with like a lot of the same sources on a daily basis what was it like having all those uh, external media outlets come and just like flood the city that you were working in?
2: That's a good question. Um, it was it was good. It was good experience and good. It's interesting to watch them how they go about doing their business. It was also frustrating as a local guy because you know To some extent, we have like three reporters at the time, and Mm
0: -hmm. you'd only been there at that point for like not that long. Yeah, eight eight months, nine
2: months. Uh But still, right? I I was more familiar to the community than the folks from New York. Dude, dropping in from New York, yeah, yeah. parachute journalism, right? Right. Totally. But they. they kick our butts, right? I mean, that was, I guess, the hard thing is that we're coming in three people, mm-hmm. and we're trying to keep up with this news as it's developing in our community, mm-hmm. but they've got a whole, like, I sat down with a guy from the Washington Post over beers one night, and I'm like, I just kind of said the same thing I just said to him, and he said, we have a staff in D.C. right now that it, their whole job is just Googling stuff, or not Googling, but researching stuff about the shooter and his family. It's like, we, we can't compete with that. So, no. that was kind of the thing that I took the most away from it was as far as a journalist goes was just uh, the hustle mm-hmm. so but I think
0: mm-hmm. I think like that cover that you guys did like the Sunday cover that just had had all the names mm-hmm. of the of the victims I think was I mean I think it was such a, a more powerful like even for the the flaws that come from having a smaller newsroom like yeah, mm-hmm. but that's just kind of a reality of the situation but like mm-hmm. the ability to like, do reporting that has heart and soul and I mean you guys care about the community that you Mm. live in and you want to see it succeed and when something like that happens I mean it hurts you guys just as much as it hurts hurts other people in the community no you're
2: absolutely right because we would uh, I mean I think it probably took three or four days for it for it to sort of wear on us that what was happening was something that we would be witnessing forever whereas the journalists could just Parachute back out.
1: I was going to say, isn't your responsibilities in that situation even entirely different than what it's going to be for the Washington Post? Because while they're telling a national audience about it, I mean, how many people in Roseburg are going to be reading the Washington Post the next morning after something like that? They're going to read your
2: paper. That is a great point. Um, I wasn't, I'm not cognizant of that at the time. It was crazy what a learning experience that was because it's, you don't, that stuff doesn't occur to you at the time. I was just trying to shuttle out as much copy as possible mm-hmm. but no yeah it was it was just as a community person you know how it goes you can't burn bridges because you have to see those people all the time one of the really interesting things that i don't know if other people have heard about that i think is a good story a sad story is when that happened we actually got this big package sent to us from uh the newspaper in sandy hook connecticut mm-hmm
0: yeah didn't they send you guys like pizza or something they sent or? us
2: they sent us a bunch of granola bars uh cold medicine uh just basically stuff for you know it was like a, a kit to like survive a the next 48 hours of just no sleep and work that's that's really awesome cool. and then when san bernardino happened we sent down uh we bought like a taco truck to go to their newspaper over there for the SB sun. Mm. And it wow. sort of just becomes this sort like of passing of the baton. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's a tragic Jeez. baton, but yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I want to give a shout out real fast to, uh, Mike Haneke and Katie Alamo for setting up that cover that you shouted out earlier. Cause they did an awesome job on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was
1: a great cover. So, I mean, after an experience like that, what was it that made you want to switch gears and become a business reporter in, um, you know, the, in a much bigger urban area than Roseburg.
2: I uh, wanted to come back to Portland. I grew up in Portland, so I wanted to come back to this area, and uh, covering business was always interesting to me because, I don't know, I, I always liked money stories, follow the money stories as a journalist. This isn't quite like, you know, campaign finance, follow the money, but it's definitely interesting to see, to sort of chart the way the community's working. You know, the what's what's happening in terms of employment, and you know, a lot of that stuff, I don't know, it's just really fascinating to me, so I wanted to give it a shot.
1: Maybe you can tell, uh, for the people that don't know exactly how our process works, uh, how's it different... Covering a story as a business reporter as it is a city reporter because I mean you know as a business reporter you don't get the advantage of like public records requests and people don't have to call you back if they don't want to <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: well, not that they that do county the county or the, the city beat yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no totally they can they can totally stiff you if they really wanted to uh-huh. uh, as a business reporter you're right I mean I I've gotten shot down so much just this week working on stories about um, one about ride sharing apps. And room sharing apps so you're calling people who are just you know they're uber drivers airbnb hosts who really have no obligation to you and same goes for appraisers for another story i'm working on but really it's just you just got to be persistent more than anything Mm. and sweet talk i guess i don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right well thanks for coming on troy and now on to our next topic
0: Okay, so we're sitting down with Scott Bailey, who's the regional economist with the uh, Washington Employment Security Department. Um, so, uh, Scott, can you just tell us a little bit about what I think when most people, you know, have a, a connection with um, ESD, it's because right. they're filing for unemployment benefits. So, can you tell us a little bit about your job and what you do and what you, what your role is with that department?
3: You bet. So, in addition to helping people out with unemployment claims and helping people find jobs, which is big part of what we do. Uh, we also have part of our agency that keeps track of what's going on in the labor market. So we're the ones who generate all the basic statistics like the unemployment rate, uh, employment by different industries, what's happening with high-tech, uh, we look at occupations, what do people do for work, and what do we, what's going to happen with occupations in the future, our best guess, which is really important for training programs at community colleges, Uh, high school career and technical ed programs, those kind of things. I keep track of wages, what's going on with wage trends, and then all sorts of other um, statistics that we don't generate but are going on out there. I try to pull all those together to tell a story about what's going on in the economy that we can communicate and so people have an idea of where we are now and where we're headed.
0: Um, well, so part of the reason that we we um, brought you in was to talk a little bit about, um, about Clark County's economy and how it compares to the state. Um, I mean, can you, can you kind of paint a picture, I guess, of, of what makes Clark County unique compared to the rest of the state and where we're at in terms of jobs?
3: Uh, sure. So let's start with that first part. What, how is Clark County like the state and not like the state? Um, we're really unique almost in the country. In that we're part of a metropolitan area that's mostly in another state yeah. we and and we have limited access to bridges um, a lot of people who live here work over in Portland there's a few people like me who do the reverse commute but it's mostly one way and, and so that has an impact on uh, when we look at the Clark County economy we have to really differentiate between well, what do we know about who lives here and and how what kind of how they take part in the economy versus jobs here. There's there's a there's a really big difference there because of all that commuting, mm-hmm. uh, and that's different from a lot of areas that are mostly much more self-contained. Or yeah, there's some commuting in, there's also commuting out, and they're they're kind of different. The other big difference, of course, is that. The taxation in both states is
0: very different
3: mm-hmm. very different and and of course the having a sales tax here and not in oregon makes a huge difference around retail retail sales where people shop
0: right right mm-hmm. yeah you you estimated that about a third of the workforce work in portland what, what's the overall size of the workforce
3: uh so there's well over two hundred thousand people that are in the labor force which we count as people who have a job somewhere, mm-hmm. um, plus people who are unemployed, which is defined as, I don't have a job, but I'm looking for work. Right. And I just got to put in a plug that uh, if you're not getting unemployment insurance benefits, you're still counted as unemployed as long as you're looking for work. Uh, that's, that's a common mis- misconception. So that's that's well over 200,000 people, so in terms of the number employed, it's a we probably have about 220, 230,000 people in the labor market, roughly six, seven percent of those are unemployed, uh, probably around six percent, and then the rest have a job somewhere. So we're, we're looking at about a third of those, um, I'll just throw out, 200,000 people mm-hmm. who are commuting over to,
2: to Portland. So yeah, when they that's say
0: 60,000, 60, that's yeah, yeah. they're that's just kidding. yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> I have a question. You mentioned earlier that it, it's really different Vancouver's economic situation is really different from the rest of the state. I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more about, like, what does the Seattle area look like that seems to be doing strong that Vancouver right. is a little different?
3: Um, so uh, a couple of things. And really, you can't talk about a state economy. We've got regions all over the yeah. state. Mm-hmm. And some of them are going great guns, and some of them have made very little progress recovering from the 2008 recession, even though it's, what? eight years later. We're fortunate here that we've had really strong job growth for three, four years now, faster than the state. We've, reco- we've recovered much more than the state average as a whole, than the Portland metro area, and much more so than the nation as a whole. So our labor market is in much better shape than a lot of, a lot of areas. How we differ from, say, Seattle area, well, wealth <laughs> is one yeah. huge difference Yeah. with all the, their long history of Boeing and Microsoft in particular, but now Amazon is just growing like crazy up there, and that's driving a lot of new development. We don't have that kind of a driver here. Um, Our growth has been really pretty diverse across all industries. Uh, The other difference is Portland is really where, and this is typical of any metro area, the core has a lot higher percentage of those really kind of high-wage, we call them corporate service jobs. Their headquarters, that upper end of uh, accountants and engineering firms, it's all those professional jobs, banking, tend to be concentrated in that core area, like in downtown Seattle, like in downtown Portland. So an area like Clark County, which is uh, part of the area but not the center, will tend to have fewer of those higher-end professional jobs. That's true around the Seattle area as well mm-hmm. in terms of how that happens. So excluding the people that are making the commute across the bridge
1: every day, uh-huh. what does the average worker in Clark County look like?
3: It's really, I mean, if you look at it, a lot of urban areas aren't that different from each other in terms of the industrial makeup. There's differences a couple percent here, a couple percent here. Or their occupational makeup as well, so it's not that different from from average when you look at it. And and our our growth over the last couple of years has been very diverse. About almost all sectors have have grown. Some a little faster, some a little slower. Construction is hot right now. Healthcare has been slower in the last couple of years, so it it kind of bounces around.
2: But, are there any surprises uh, for you? Any industries that seem to be growing that are. A little shocking?
3: Well, I think the big change
2: in, and I called this
3: out a couple of years ago at the forecast breakfast, I called it a sea change, mm-hmm. is this shift towards that upper end professional where we've had Peace Health move their headquarters here, Integra move their headquarters back here, in
2: Banfield.
3: Uh, and Banfield, Banfield Pet Banfield, Hospital, yeah. the newest one, Fisher Investment. So some really big employment centers that are high-end professional managerial jobs that we really hadn't had before. You know, 20 years ago, we would have said Clark County is kind of more blue-collar. If you looked at our high-tech, it was all the production end and not the higher-end design. Most of it was. There's a little, little bits and pieces of that, but that's changing now. And I think looking ahead as the waterfront developments, if that builds out like it's going to, that's going to continue that and really not completely change the character of the county, but it, it'll add something to it that's been missing before.
1: Um, I mean, have you heard from any of these organizations that have moved to this side of the river what the logic behind the move has been? I mean, is this like a tax idea? Is it because, like, just commuting for their workers sucks and they want yeah. to make, <laughs> make life Yeah, what's the draw for Clark County? Yeah. Right.
3: No, I think it's, it's different depending on each one of them. Uh-huh. Like, Peace Health moved here. So it wasn't to get away from Oregon or any, anything like that. And really, if you look at some of those agencies, they still have a fair number of Oregonians working there. I think it's more if you look at the, you know, tw- 20 years ago, being in downtown Vancouver and seeing kind of before it really took off and flowered, uh, and that's still underway, I kind of went, wow. I've seen, you know, Lake Oswego Cruise Way, There was office space moving out of downtown Portland, partly for cost considerations, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but partly because it's a nice place to be. And I thought, wow, that could happen here easily. You're still close to downtown. It's a reverse commute. Land price has got to be a lot cheaper here. I, I, and I think that's what I was just a little ahead of my time seeing those opportunities that others have seen those opportunities of wow, here's a great community.
0: Um, you, you've talked about the the downtown development. Um, mm-hmm. One of the other big developments that we hear a lot about is the Discovery Corridor up mm-hmm. along from 139th to about uh, the, the uh, Le Center interchange on I-5. And um, I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? It seems like for us, we're constantly hearing about how tremendous that project is going to be, but there's just been hardly any movement on it. So, I mean, can you talk about what that, that, in a long-term economic standpoint, could mean for Clare County?
3: Well, yeah, yeah, and I've been sort of Vancouver-centric, what I've been talking about, and that's not really fair to the Camas area and, and Washugal, the trail development along there, mm-hmm. along with the industrial land that they brought on board there. It's been... Uh, a big story in the county as well. Heading north is still, I think, more potential. But there's still, a, I think, a lot going on there. The casino will be an interesting addition to the whole county in right. terms of the eventual build out around being a, a destination center, being uh, having some conference room and a hotel brought in there. Uh, so that's that's part of the reality that's on the ground now. There's stuff bubbling there. And again, when I talk about you know 20 years ago, I said, hey. This could happen here, a lot of, especially industrial, you have to think long-term. You have to land bank that land and know that it's not going to happen overnight. But it's so important and critical to the future development of the county. Looking back, you can see where land that was initially, you know, right around a freeway interchange mm-hmm. and ideal for industrial, got residentialed. Um, right to the detriment long-term of of the county, because we have in the metro area, there is a shortage of industrial land going forward. And the other thing, uh, looking at government services serving those lands, residential doesn't really pay for itself in terms of the services needed around education in particular and all, all the services associated with that compared with industrial commercial land, which kind of more than pays for itself in some ways. So that jobs housing imbalance that's developed over the years because so much land got zoned residential instead of commercial uh, industrial, it's put us in a little bit in terms of a revenue disadvantage for parks and police and fire uh, and all those basic services at the local level that we should have more available to fund that if there was more of a balance of jobs and housing.
1: And is that what this Discovery Corridor represents Is sort of an opportunity to adjust that balance in a more uh, economic way?
3: I think that's, I mean that's the issue facing our, our comprehensive plan and how we deal with that. Sounds like it's a pretty good time to be a worker in Clark County. In a lot of ways, yeah. And if you can live and work here and shop over in Portland, it's. <laughs> it's a good not, deal. It's, it's a really good deal.
0: So for our last story, we're going to turn to a story of a gas station, family, and some dang good barbecue. This story came to be after Damien suggested to me that we grab lunch at Daddy D's Southern Style Barbecue, a little hole in the wall restaurant in a gas station on Fourth Plain I'd never heard of before. Why not record our experience, I figured. After all, who doesn't love hearing about some barbecue? Daddy D's is simultaneously completely obvious and hard to spot. The sign at the Shell gas station near the corner of Andreessen and Fourth Play is tucked into a tree, but you'll know the place before you see it. A thick smoke fills the air around the intersection, complete with the heavy smell of smoking pork, beef, and chicken. We park and head inside. The restaurant itself is small, just a counter and a few small tables within arm's length of the packaged potato chips, soft drinks, and a hot dog roller. By the way, I mourn for the guy who walks into this gas station and thinks any of those is a better idea than the melt-in-your-mouth brisket I ate. During the lunch rush, it was packed. Flitting between customers is the owner, Donnie Bircher. It's actually pronounced for Shea, but he says it was easier to drop the French pronunciation when he moved to the Pacific Northwest.
4: Um, I'm from Lake Charles, Louisiana. I'm from a small town called Mollsville. Um I'm a father um, of um, nine children. So, um, I have uh, 19 beautiful grandchildren. This place is called Daddy D Southern Style Barbecue. And uh, I, uh, it's something that i inherited in my family.
0: Dunny opened this spot eight years ago after he broke his back working on Bridges. He was in a full-body cast when the restaurant opened, so this was a huge risk. But Donnie had Southern tradition and time on his side.
4: Um, I get here at 3.30 in the morning every single day. Um, the food has to be ready by 11. Thank you, guys. I'll see you later today. And so um, I, I won't serve it if it ain't problem. right. If you, you ask me, hey, if it's three quarters done, I won't serve team. it. It has to be right. Because you'll remember one time it bad. You'll never be back again, you know.
0: The person here is alone.
4: Okay. Uh, 15 hours, the pool pork about 13 hours. Man. And then the ribs are done every five, six hours, around 2 to 25. It's all smoked with cherry wood. I just keep it 100, man. You know, I've never changed anything. Everything stays the same. I have not changed the recipe or the food in eight years. You know, everything here is made here. There's no Costco, Cisco's, you know, whatever. But what
0: really makes this place special are the family recipes he uses.
4: We call the sauce Uncle Bully. I, Uncle Bully Uncle really was uh, yeah. my yeah. mother's yeah. brother. And he, that's where I, where I come in, like the third generation of barbecue. But I didn't get the sauce until 2001. Um, he, uh, he he had it in the family, he never sold it, never any for riches, bottled it or nothing. He just enjoyed sharing it with the families. We're, we have our, like our family unions, our, um, you know, like when we do a church functions or whatever, he wanted to do the barbecue. As those recipes has been in family for 50 years, that, didn't, didn't sell their soul for it, you know, for the wow. corporate money or whatever. And so that's what he did. And it was and so a lot of people couldn't believe that he gave me that sauce, and, you know. So make a long story short real quick was he passed two years after he gave me the sauce in 2001. So 2004 he passed away. So I went to San Jose, California to speak at the funeral, you know. And so um, they call you up to, you know, to say something, you know. And here I'm um, saying... Man, I, I thank my uncle Bully for not treating us different, you know. And i like to also thank him for the sauce the way, I mean, uh, thank God for the sauce because my business is doing well. You should have seen that place, man. That place got quiet because that thing was important. And even after the funeral, like, coming up people hit me up. I said, hey, if he really, if he really wanted you to have it, he would have gave it to you, you know. So those guys were his friends for 20 years or more. And he did not give that sauce to them either, you know. He didn't give it to his own kids. Funny, he, did. he really did. He the, um, pie.
0: He points to a tempting bright orange pie sitting on the counter.
4: Uh-huh. Good example. So that pie is like like the barbecue sauce. As those recipes have been in family for 50 years, they didn't sell their soul for it, you know, for the corporate money or whatever.
0: Eight years later, family is still the theme connecting everything Donnie does for his restaurant and his customers.
4: I'm telling you, this place has a lot of love and you'll feel it when you come in here this time. It's not like another place where you just, thank you for your money, see you later. And it's not about the money with me, because the money gonna come anyway. I do it for the people smile, enjoy themselves here, enjoy the food, you know, like that. You know, I think I'm saying it right, but um, that's the reason why I do it.
1: Man, that was good barbecue. I think, what did I have? I had ribs and, like, the collard greens and beans. No, I had coleslaw, and it was if you guys get the chance, go check it out because it's delicious. And I
0: did the the brisket and the collard greens and the beans. And they were amazing. And that it's far and away the best barbecue I've ever had. Like, it's not even, like, on the same plane as yeah. other barbecue I've had. So It's crazy.
1: I feel so bad for vegans for not getting to enjoy that place. Right?
0: No, <laughs> Make better life choices. <laughs> well, anyway. um, isn't your girlfriend a vegan? oh yeah she's a vegan
1: <laughs> and every time I bring that stuff home I'm like you want some brisket like this will change your life Just not
0: having that <laughs> alright well thanks for listening you guys next week we're going to be diving into the education beat here at the Columbian. we'll be talking about some activities at a local elementary school we'll be talking about Washington State University Vancouver and its research facilities and then we're going to close by chatting with Clark College about some of their efforts to promote uh, sort of traditional blue collar work here in the clark county area so Mm -hmm. thanks for listening and we'll see you next week
1: see you guys later